Santiago, the creator of The Girl in the Jean Jacket. We're super excited that you're here and you decided to join us on this new, exciting journey. You may be wondering, well, what the hell am I actually listening to? And I'm about to tell you, stay tuned for some exciting interviews and creative collaborations from people all over the world. This is Billy Butcherson from Hocus Pocus, and you're listening to The Girl in the Jean Jacket Podcast. Halloween edition. I'm your host, Gabrielle Santiago, and of course, when I decided to launch The Girl in the Jean Jacket, episode one, I chose none other than Halloween because it is quite possibly the best holiday of all the land. It's a brilliant idea. I have spent the past couple of weeks watching my favorite Halloween movies of all time, and I will be the first one to admit I actually am not a fan of scary movies just because I normally can't get past the eerie feeling after I'm done watching it. I can't. I have nightmares. Um, But I am a huge advocate for good-spirited Halloween movies that we used to love growing up. Hocus Pocus and Halloween Town and even Sabrina the Teenage Witch, although that was a TV show. So I went out of my way to locate some of our favorite characters from these Halloween movies and ended up coming back with some really interesting characters. Now featuring Doug Jones from Hocus Pocus. So, um, so this is only my, 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 when I booked it, it was only my second big studio movie, but it was my first time being in the opening credits of a movie, like where my name shows up with, right. the, oh my gosh. So, so I was very excited about the, uh, the size of the role, the size of the movie. It's a Disney film with Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, Kathy Najimy, um, and with cameos by, you know, the Marshalls, Gary and, uh, and, uh, Penny Marshall. Yes. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was just just chock full of, of fun and, and, and Disney, you know? Uh, So, um, so we, we were thinking like, oh, this is going to be huge. That was the first thought is like, this could be great. And, uh, you know, and knowing that Billy Butcherson, the character I was playing, this zombie who's kind of goofy and funny and, and, and they even designed me my look to be kind of rocker sexy in a way, uh, which was kind of fun. To, to, you know, this is before zombies were cool, even. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't know what the word zombie actually meant until I booked this job and had to look it up. And uh, But then the movie was released in theaters in 1993, the summer of 93, uh, in July. Right. It's a Halloween movie that would have done better in October, perhaps. And they were marketing it as a Bette Midler comedy as opposed to a kid's fantasy film. So, okay. uh, so it, you know, I think between marketing and time of year that they opened it, it didn't do very well at the box office at all. It didn't hang around for long. It was up against all the summer blockbusters, um, and it was just kind of, yeah, it just seemed like odd timing to me. So, mm-hmm. uh, but what we didn't see coming was the home video market and television runs. Right. Um, you know, uh, with, uh, this is the, now remember, this is the early 90s, so, um, uh, cable television was growing and booming all the while, as was the home video market. Now, when this came out on on, on home video, it was it was the VHS format, the tapes. Right. Uh, so, uh, and that. But the thing was, it was uh, it became like this this annual event where they would show Hocus Pocus, and so it started getting a following where you sit the kids down in front of the TV and Hocus Pocus is on. 
So uh, it became an annual event, and then that, and then with the home video market, it became something that uh, that parents were buying for kids to keep in the house on the shelf to you know pop in whenever. Right. Um, then of course the DVD market happened and the Blu-ray market, so people were re- re- replenishing their their home supply, and Hocus Pocus had to be one that you kept updated with. Um, and so now it has grown into a much bigger phenomenon than it was when it actually came out in theaters. Um, uh, the popularity even in, in the last few years has grown exponentially because a lot of the kids who grew up with the movie are now having kids of their own and sharing that movie with their kids, which I never thought I would see a second generation wave of Hocus Pocus. <laughs> right, right. Um, so when you first received um, information of Hocus Pocus and that you knew you found out that Kenny Ortega was going to be the director, what was your immediate response? Right. So it, no, I was what I was very excited about being a very physical type actor myself and knowing that he was a choreographer before a film director. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really meant the world to me, knowing that he totally would understand um, shapes and colors and and movement and and bringing that part to my acting performance. Uh, and he 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 was just so so collaborative to work with in that way, and wonderful, just really wonderful. Yeah, so upbeat and happy, and uh, you know. Uh, not when he when when he yelled action, all I heard was five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm watching the movie back, I think one of my favorite scenes is uh, is uh, that surprise moment when I cut my mouth open, and and uh, you're going to hear Billy talk for the first time in 300 years. Right. Um, uh, I'm, I'm very proud of that scene simply because it was only originally scripted with me. Uh, uh, cutting my mouth open while I'm holding on to Max Dennison, played by Omri Katz. Mm-hmm. Bette Midler, as Winifred, is hovering over the, the gates of the of the graveyard. She can't come in because it's hollowed ground, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm, I grab a knife away from, from Max, and I and I, it looks like I'm about to slit his throat, but I'm actually wanting to cut my own mouth open so I can finally speak for myself. The script was me to throw out one word at Bette Midler and say, Bitch! <laughs> That's what was scripted. Now I had I had some discomfort with that because Disney kids film uh, one word bitch and that's going to win the kids over to uh, now I'm a good guy. I, I was like, Meh. I I think there's there's got to be a better way to do this. So um, so that's when I came up with that riff that stayed in the movie uh, as a, as an alternate uh, suggestion to the to our, our Kenny Ortega and our our head writer and producer um, David Kirshner. We made a call to him and said, Can Doug do this instead? And they kind of they went for it, which was me saying, "Wench, trollop, you bucktooth, muffright, firefly from a hell." <laughs> centuries to say that. So that all came out uh, because I thought, you know, after three hundred years and the hatred between Winifred and Billy, uh, you know, she she poisoned me and sewed my mouth shut. So right. I wouldn't share her secrets in the afterlife. Well, that kind of sucks, and I'm kind of I'm kind of bitter about it. And I've been had a lot of pent up anger for three hundred years. And I, I really, I had more to say on that first opening of my mouth. And that, that has become a very quotable moment in the film and uh, that a lot of a lot of fans have thrown back at me. So uh, it is a fun little surprise in the movie. And um, But as far as, but, but as far as what, what my favorite scene to play in was probably going to be the, the, uh, the, the masquerade costume party, the Halloween costume party that, that happened where Bette gets up on stage with Sarah and Kathy and sings, uh, I put a spell on you. Um, I was in that scene, snuck into the party and kind of blended in, if you remember correctly. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I don't think I ever noticed that actually. Yeah. Uh, cause I was, I was, um, 
still, you know, trying to track down the kids. Now, you didn't know why you thought I was trying to track them down because Bet said, you know, after them, get my book back, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I followed them into the party, but I was actually trying to get a hold of them so that I could finally say, I'm here to help. You know, that you find that out at the end of the movie. Right. So, as I'm running through the party, I get, I get, I, I, uh, I come coming after the kids, and I, I get, I, I get caught on the shoulder of the dad uh, when they're having their little conference, and I end up getting. So they're quick cuts, so you don't really, it's not as memorable. But to be in that scene with all these extras in, in ridiculously fun, uh, you know, Halloween costumes, and the musical number, and being there to watch Bet perform live. Uh, I mean, of course, it was pre-recorded, but she she also sang live to go along with the the pre-recorded uh, playback. Uh, it was just magical, just magical. I've been a fan of hers since college, anyway, and uh, and that was during that scene too that we had a behind-the-scenes chat um, uh, where. Uh, uh, can I break into a story here? Yeah, totally, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, years before, when I was doing the Mac Tonight campaign for McDonald's. Uh, this is back in 1990. It was one of my last, one of my last uh, commercial shoots with, them. and um, during the middle of that shoot week, I also saw a, a Barbara Walters interview with Bette Midler, and uh, so she, and this was in the middle of her heyday with um, the, all those Touchstone films that she had out one after another, Down and Out in Beverly Hills, Outrageous Fortune, Ruthless People. The list goes on. She had right. one hit after another. All Beaches had just come out. Um, so she was just a, a, an icon, huge, huge, huge star. Uh, it still is. But um, uh, so Barbara was, was interviewing her about all of her recent success, but said to her, Bet, I interviewed you last time 10 years ago, right after you did The Rose, in which she was Oscar nominated for. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, right after our interview, you went into a rehab program with a nervous breakdown. What makes you a stronger Bet Midler today? <laughs> and so Bet said... Um, Barbara, I don't care anymore. And I, I leaned into the TV going, what, what? And she said, um, I, I used to be so concerned with all these departments that didn't involve me. I was, I was worried about pleasing everybody and is everything going to come out okay? And I was worried about this and, you know, stressing myself out. And now I've learned that I can let go of things that are outside of my control. I wear what they tell me to wear. I stand where they tell me to stand. I say what they tell me to say to the best of my ability, and beyond that, I can't care anymore. Right. And I was like, I was like, oh, that's the answer. Yes. <laughs> so I went back to work on my on my McDonald's commercials that that uh, that evening, with a whole newfound sense of I'm only responsible for so much, and beyond that, I can't care. Yes. And it was freeing. So now, cut to three years later. It's 1993. Uh, I'm sorry, two years later, 92, and I am in front of Bette Midler able to tell her this story that like bet i have to tell you you saved my life a couple years ago oh really and so i told her the whole story i just told you and she said huh i said that and i said yes you did and she goes oh that's pretty good isn't it said, yes it was yes it was <laughs> yes it was fantastic <laughs> yeah, changed my life thank you that's hilarious actually i was just watching sarah jessica parker and she talks about how when she was in annie Um, back in the day, she used to go to her voice lessons and this is before Hocus Pocus, obviously. And, um, she said she arrived early one time and she heard Bette inside singing (laughs) and, um, she said then from then on out, she just kept showing up early and just did exactly what she did. And then she was so fortunate enough to work with her on Hocus Pocus and she was so starstruck. So um, meeting someone, you know, that you've looked up to for so long and just, having the opportunity to work with them. I think that's, that's awesome. 
Oh, totally. Wait, like, on the way to work, my first night on Hocus Pocus, it was a night shoot. We were filming outside in a, in a park. It's a, it was actually a deleted scene. Um, and uh, so uh, my first night, I was, it's like, I'm going to meet Beth Miller tonight. Was, she, we're both on the call sheet. We're in a scene together. Oh, my gosh, I'm so nervous. I get to meet her. Ah! In the car on the way to, to, this, to the Disney lot in Burbank, I heard uh, on the radio, and now Bette Miller with From a Distance. From a Distance, the world. It was a huge hit of hers at the time. Oh, my mom is a huge fan of that song. Right, okay, so yeah, so this comes on the radio, and I'm like, I'm going to meet her, oh my gosh! <laughs> and then, uh, then on the way home, uh, uh, as the sun was coming up after our night shoot, I turn the radio on in the car again, and I hear uh, The Rose, you know? Uh, on the way home, so which yeah. another big hit of hers. So it was just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just spent the night working with that lady, and now she's on the radio again. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, fangirl so moment. <laughs> totally, totally fanboy moment. Yeah, that's so funny. Um, so because this film was uh, filmed in the '90s with no CG, that part where you rip open the mouth, how did how did you go mm. about that? Right, um, CG was. Like ILM was was uh, was doing some CG at the time, okay. uh, but it was it was a it was a not it was not at all developed into what it is today. So, uh, practical was the first order of, of filming if you could get it done that way, whatever mm-hmm. it was. And so, moths and dust flying out of my mouth. The first thing was, well, how do we get those to happen? So, uh, they uh, they built a uh, a dental dam kind of thing in my mouth. It was sort of like. Um, and I had an upper and lower retainer that held a latex sheath that uh, that needed to uh, to keep to keep my mouth safe from the moths and the moths safe from the moisture of my mouth. They have to be they have to stay dry or they won't fly. I found out. Oh my gosh! Uh, they have a moth specialist that came as he, with you know tweezers that he would take them out of the cage and set them on my tongue and. Uh, uh, and uh, I had to hold my head at a certain angle to make them fly a certain direction toward the light when they uh, you know, it was very complicated uh, in the upper retainer uh, uh, in, the, in the hollow of the roof of my mouth was another was a little cup built in that they would put this uh, purified dust in it was uh, fuller's earth they call it and uh, so that's dirt that's clean and uh, so they, they threw it in there so that it, with air holes at the back end of that cup so I could go Poof! And cough out a whole bunch of dust. Right. So, so it was. Uh, it, it was so at the same time as the moths were flying out, this dust would go <laughs> come flying out. So it was a timing issue that had to be very sensitive, uh, and you had to get it right. And I thought, oh my gosh, this could take you know forty takes. How long is that? We're going to. Uh. So, um, they, but we, they didn't have that many takes to do it in uh, because um, you know it just was a time chore. I mean, the reset was so long. And um, my my makeup had these you know little leather stitches that were, that had my mouth sewn shut. So I had to. This is where I was cutting those those stitches open. So they had to to pre-cut the stitches in the, along the lip line of my mouth, mm-hmm. uh, and then lightly glue tack them together so they would break a, break apart when the knife ran over them. And the knife was dulled for safety's sake. So uh, so what they had to do was get the camera rolling, get lights all set sound rolling, everything ready, and then put the moths in my mouth, lightly tack the glue down so that the camera was ready. We wouldn't have any waiting. We were ready to go right away so that those moths would stay as dry as possible, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's really like, ah, ah tension, tension. Are we going to get this? I don't know. Uh, so uh, so if take one, we're all, we got the system down, the camera's rolling, sound's going, they put the moths in my mouth on, onto the, that, the latex sheath, 
stitches go glue, 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 ready to go, and poof, a light explodes. It was like, no, no, how? Oh, no. no. Yeah, so I had to take a minute to get a ladder, uh, get a crew up there to change out a light. Uh, it, it, uh, so meanwhile, I'm sitting there with, the, I could feel the water table in my throat rising. You know, it's a, you've got a foreign object in your mouth. And right. so your body is, your is going, your saliva glands are going intruder, intruder. So uh, sure enough, it was just uh, when the camera was rolling again and they finally I cut my mouth open. This string of mud comes out of my mouth with a uh, with a moth surfing on it. Like, Aah! oh gosh! <laughs> so it ended up not worrying. So take two, we actually got it right. I think we we did a total of three takes altogether, and that was it. Okay. Got, got, I was amazed at how how well. Yeah, you know, I'll say that's did. not bad for having live moths in your mouth, right? <laughs> right, right. And they say, and think how much money they saved on the CG effects, right? Yeah, that's that's so crazy. Because now, I mean, you pr you play so many different monsters in so many different films. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm sure that it's totally changed since then. Oh my gosh, that's that's the quick answer now. Well, we we can do that in post, you know. <laughs> right, 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 right. And you're like, I'm sure, it's great. I'm sure you're just like, oh, if only. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, how many hours of makeup did you sit through? Because I mean, Billy's face was very zombie-esque. Yeah, very detailed. Uh, uh, all the detail work was done on that ahead of time. So it was it was a mask that glued on to my to my face uh, uh, and neck. It was all one piece. So it went on. Uh, by the time they got the system down, it got down to like an hour and a half. I was it was incredibly fast usually you're looking at a three to four three three to, to seven hour transformation anytime you're doing like a, a creature zombie you know with head and hands showing um uh but this was this was the pre-painted pieces so they would come from the creature effects shop already painted already ready to go uh glue they would glued onto me and then have to just blend the edges with uh, around my eyes around my mouth uh, and then uh, throw a wig on me and glue down the earpieces and throw some gloves on my hands. And I had an undersuit that had it with the arms and legs already like onto a leotard. They were already attached to a leotard that I would then slip on so that when uh, the tears in my clothing uh, would show my, uh, you know, zombie arms and legs. Uh, so it all went on very, very quickly. It was mercifully fast, actually. Oh, well, that's that's good to hear, right? Yeah. After after doing a bunch of different takes, I'm sure that's nice to know that you're not sitting hours and hours in, in makeup. Right. Um, so I have a little Hocus Pocus quiz for you, and it's pretty short, but I want to see if you remember the answers. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Which spice protects Max, Danny, and Allison from the Sanderson sisters? Is it A? Oh, do you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. I, was, I didn't realize it was multiple choice. I just yelled out an answer. You're like, salt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, you probably don't even need the multiple choice answers, really. <laughs> yeah, but I'll, I'll, now that I know the rules, I'll play, I'll play fair. Okay, here we go. What do the sisters hope to accomplish by sucking the life out of the children of Salem? Is it A, life after death, B, nothing, they just hate children, or C, okay. eternal youth and beauty? Youth and beauty. Yeah, ding, ding, ding. Correct Come answer. <laughs> okay, what object do the Sanderson sisters not use to fly? Is it A, a broom, B, a vacuum, or C, a carpet? Carpet. Yes, perfect. You got 100%. Woo! Look at me. <laughs> um, okay, so I've heard a rumor, and I don't know if you can address if this is true or not, but there's been talk of a Hocus Pocus 2, mm -hmm. and... 
do you see that happening anytime soon? Boy, wouldn't that be great? Um, uh, now, uh, yes, I've, I, I've heard, um, when I was working on the watch uh, a couple years ago, uh, that's the uh, that was an uh, I was an alien that was invading the neighborhood of Ben Stiller, Vince Vaughn, and Jonah Hill. Mm-hmm. They were the neighborhood watch fighting back the alien invasion. Uh, during that movie shoot, Tony Gardner, that I just mentioned to you, the makeup artist, was also working on the watch as well. And during that that movie shoot, he said he had recently had an, an, a meeting with David Kirshner. That would be the the uh, executive producer, head writer of Hocus Pocus that we just mentioned a while back. Right. Um, and that the two of them were putting a pitch together to, uh, you know, to, to take back to Disney for a Hocus Pocus 2. Uh, like it was kind of a, a storyline that would be a 20 year later sort of scenario where the kids have grown up and I don't really know much about it. Uh, I'm, again, I'm not the spokesperson for this, but but uh, it was kind of kind of the idea, and uh, and that Billy Butcherson would would most likely be a returning character, um, and have have a, 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 a good part of the storyline. So I was uh, very excited at the prospect, and and they told me that that uh, Tony told me that they did have the meeting with Disney during our watch shoot, and they uh, he took the full size dummy of Billy Butcherson that uh, was on wheels on a stand. It was on display at his shop. And they took it to the meeting at the Disney Studio lot to, as a you know, as a visual aid, to help sell the idea of a of a part two. And here's the fun part: is he, he said that as they were rolling this life size version of Billy Butcherson, you know, a statue dummy of me, through the office area to get to the to the conference room, people were sticking their heads up over their cubicles, going, "Oh my gosh, it's Billy Butcherson!" Ah! <laughs> so it was, it was quite raising quite a ruckus uh, in the in the office building. Well, you know, it was great fun. Uh, anyway, so I, from what I'm understood, and uh, David Kirshner then had talked about this at our 20 year reunion that we had last year, right? Uh, to a live audience, he mentioned that yes, there's a Hocus Pocus uh, sequel in the works, um, and I think he hinted that you know uh, it's not set in stone that it would be a feature film; it might be a, te- a television film um, that would that would show on the Disney Channel first or something like that. Uh, uh, you know, these all kinds of options are are, are afoot. Then, more recently, uh, news came out that Tina Fey was going to be uh, producing a Hocus Pocus sequel, and that was kind of a mix-up in the, in the news. Um, it was then verified by Daily Variety magazine that uh, Tina Fey does have a, an untitled witch project in, produ- in pre-production with Disney, but it is not a Hocus Pocus sequel. It would be something different. So, um, so that the, the Tina Fey project looked ha- had more legs under it, like it was something that was actually happening sooner. Uh, but that is not the Hocus Pocus sequel that we're hoping for. Okay, so. yeah, because I remember at the end of Hocus Pocus, the three little girls that are trick-or-treating, they're dressed up as the Sanderson sisters. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, oh, oh, there you go, Disney. There's your spinoff right there. Right there, right? <laughs> yeah. That would be so exciting. I would be so stoked for something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, no, me, me too, me too. And the funny part uh, for me is that, like, it's been 20, 21 years since the film came out, um, and my character would be the only one who hasn't aged any. You put that makeup back on me again, and I'm going to look exactly the same. I haven't gained a pound. Um, I personally have aged 21 years, but uh, but um, I looked like a 300-year-old dead guy 21 years ago. So I, I'll look every bit the same 300-year-old dead guy now, <laughs> which is great. Yeah, that's totally great. Yeah, your face wouldn't be so exposed. So Right, right. right. <laughs> that's so exciting. Okay, well, before we wrap it up, um, I wanted to ask you if there is any advice you have for maybe some aspiring 
individuals that would like to be actors or actresses in the future, um, mm-hmm. what, what would your advice be to them? Well, uh, is to not, uh, show business is two words, show and business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you want to be a, a performer of any kind, um, uh, the show is your responsibility. Don't worry so much about the business. Because um, that, that would be, when we're all starting out as actors, uh, the biggest worry that we have is, who do I have to call? Who do I have to know? Who do I have to rub elbows with? What do I have to, you know, where do I have to be seen? Blah, 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 blah. And, um, and uh, that's the business side of things. And let, let the business people worry about that. Um, you need to worry about the show. So that, what that means is be the very best actor you can possibly be, or singer, or dancer, or juggler, or fire eater, or whatever it is you do. Um, that also goes for writing, directing, producing, uh, you know, anything you want to do in the arts. Be the best you can possibly be at it, and 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 have a product that's worth selling before you try to sell it. Right. Um, so when you are the best actor you can possibly be, and you have a look and a niche and a thing that's sellable, um, then. Then, then your responsibility is simply to find a way to do it in front of somebody who can hire you or finance you. Um, if you're making your own product now, uh, uh, find a way, make that web series that, that highlights your acting ability um, You know that you can do with your friends and put it up on a YouTube channel or, uh, or do it in a showcase, in a, a bit, an industry showcase in front of casting directors and agents and managers. Um, do a scene that that'll showcase your talents and abilities to make everybody want you. Um, you know, there's these there's options. You have options out there, but the number one thing is, don't try to sell the product before it's a product. Be really good at what you do first, and if that means a class, if that means life experience, if that means just taking your raw talent and and, and learning how to how to get your jitters out of you, whatever that means, uh, whatever preparation means for you, it's different for everybody. Totally. And I think it's important to remember not to get discouraged for every million no's you hear. You know, there's going to be a couple yeses and to keep going. And Right. Well, it's been said that every no that you hear is one is one no closer to your yes. Um, and, you know, and the odds when I was doing TV commercials back in the day, uh, I still do the, the random commercial here and there. But but back in the day when I was auditioning for them, um, you know, a few times a week, you would do uh, the average was about 30 auditions for one booking. Uh, right. That's a lot of that's a lot of rejection. Mm-hmm. A, lot of, a lot of a lot of useless driving around town to go tap dance for a casting director and never get called back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's it can be discouraging. But um, but I'm I'm here to tell you you know 28 years later that uh, when you when it does hit and people do recognize the talent that you do have, um, uh, eventually they'll come looking for you once your reputation is known and out there and you and you have developed a network of people around you that uh, that remember you and want, when you want to work with you again and again. It does happen. Yeah, totally. And I, I mean, I, I'm in the fashion industry and I've just started this uh, podcast. So I face these things every day as well. And I think that really applies to anybody who's in any type of art career or, sure. yeah. um, you know, and I think that's important to remember. And who else to uh, clarify that than, than Doug Jones? No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're so excited that you decided to join us. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Oh, the pleasure's all mine, love. I've uh, had a great time speaking with you, and um, and I have to go take a shower and get ready for my uh, table read for the next episode of Falling Skies here in Vancouver.
Wow, talk about an upbeat, positive person. Doug Jones, thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to sit down and talk to us and give us the inside scoop of Hocus Pocus and lead us onto a path of success. So if you're an actor and maybe this is something that you're really considering, I definitely would have you check out the next episode that's going to air next week. And it's more of an in-depth conversation with Doug Jones about his previous work and his upcoming work. And he says a lot of motivational things that I know sometimes as a creative individual, doing what I love um, takes a lot of time and effort and energy. And sometimes when you hear consecutive no, 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 no's to whatever you're trying to accomplish. Maybe you're sending out a demo to a record company or trying to get your artwork in a gallery. For every no, you're closer to a yes. And it was just such an honor to talk to somebody who has been there and done that and um, is here to tell you that it's all worth it and to stick it out. So make sure you check out that Doug Jones Knows episode on the Girl in the Jean Jacket podcast. And for the rest of you, have a very happy Halloween and we hope to see you next month. Thank <laughs> you.